0: Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples on today's podcast, part two of two on some key science-related arguments for God's existence. Uh, Ken, you talked about two of them, not strictly science, philosophical arguments that incorporate science, but maybe you can recap those two, and then tell us what we can look forward to today.
1: Yeah, when I, uh, the many years I've worked here at Reasons to Believe, I, I began to notice that in many ways, uh, Reasons to Believe presented philosophical arguments that were informed or framed by science. Um, for example, Hugh Ross began the organization going back to his earliest books, the fingerprint of God, uh, the creator in the cosmos. Very significant uh, time for RTB is when Fuzz Rana became a staff member, talking about things like design in the cell, his book, The Cell's Design. And he's only gone on to write other books that look at that uh, in a much broader context. So what I want to talk about uh, in the second program is to continue... Uh, to present some philosophical arguments that I think are uniquely informed or framed by science. And in the first program, we looked at the Kalam cosmological argument that raises the question, if the universe began, it must have a cause, and God would be the cause of that. We also looked at another cosmological argument known as the argument from contingency, If there are dependent realities in the universe, then there has to be a non-dependent or necessary reality. So in this program, I'd like to go further. Uh, I'd like to look at two more philosophical arguments informed by science. The first one is known as the argument from fine-tuning. And then the second is an argument from the explanation of mathematics. So two more philosophical arguments that appeal to so appeal for support from scientific thinking sounds so, good okay let's look at uh, this first argument i'm going to i'm going to say that There are a number of arguments for fine-tuning, and let me even step back more broadly. You know, you've got four classical arguments for God's existence. You could call them proofs or traditional arguments. The cosmological, cosmos is the Greek word for world, so you reason for God from the world. The teleological argument, telos in Greek means End or purpose or design, so you have teleological arguments. Uh, you could argue, for example, uh, the way William Paley did that. You know, look at the eye, look at the complexity of the eye, or look at the complexity of uh, you know complex phenomena in the world. Well, there are different types of design arguments, and one of the more popular design arguments today is called the argument from fine tuning. And you can pitch that argument in various ways. Um, what I would like to do is I would like to present um, it as a philosophical argument and then show you that I think science supports the various premises. And, you know, you know, again, this is a very broad argument. Some people would say think of a think of a, of a control panel in order to explain you know the fundamental constants of physics like gravity uh, electromagnetism the strong and weak nuclear forces all of these things have to be dialed in just right kind of the goldilocks if 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 it's too much you know then the universe wouldn't be possible if it's too little the universe wouldn't be possible and you can apply this to the fundamental constants uh Hugh Ross has applied this to our very solar system, the uniqueness of the Earth, the Moon, uh, various other features. So these are really kind of a collection of teleological arguments. But here is, is, I think, a, a very interesting one, and I think a robust one. So again, I'm going to present it as a syllogism. And uh syllogisms, I think, were invented by Aristotle. He's the father of logic. He wasn't the first one to think logically. His, uh, his teacher, Plato, was absolutely brilliant. But Aristotle began to kind of formulate these principles in his book called The Organon. Uh, and so for him, logic is ordered thought. Okay, so here's our first premise. So in an argument, you make a claim, that's your conclusion. You seek to support that claim by your premises. And what should happen in an argument is the inference should lead you from the support to the conclusion. Here's premise one. The fine-tuning of the universe must result from physical necessity, chance, or design. You say that again you have an option here the fine tuning of the universe must result from either physical necessity it just had to be that way or two chance it just we just got lucky in the las vegas uh we got incredibly lucky it was just a chance event or it was designed that way One more time, the fine-tuning of the universe must result from either physical necessity, it just had to be that way, or chance, we just got enormously lucky, or there's a designer. The design comes from uh, the particular designer. Now, premise two, it does not result, that is, the fine-tuning of the cosmos or the universe does not result from physical necessity or chance. Therefore, conclusion, the design in the universe, the fine-tuning in the universe is the result of a designer, God. Now, now again, I'm going to pitch that in a biblical context. It's the biblical God. Now, to give a little bit of background and then to look at whether we can really support these premises, remember the idea of, of what... Um, Uh, scientists call the anthropic principle. This broad anthropic, anthropos is the Greek word for man or human being. So the anthropic principle says, what had to go into explaining how a universe could somehow come up with intelligent creatures and beings like human beings? You know, humans are... I think, exceptional, um, we are part of nature, we have similarities uh, with animals, similar DNA, similar, similar in terms of uh, our biochemistry and things of that nature, but we're also the only creatures that develop the natural sciences, we're the only creatures that engage in logic and mathematics we are the only creatures that have built a civilization that's based upon moral principles so what had to go into uh, a a cosmos a universe that would ultimately cough up if you will uh, rational conscious human beings now let me take a look at this because we are we are again framing a philosophical argument in a scientific context. So let's look a little more closely at that first premise: the fine tuning of the universe must be the result of a physical necessity, or b chance, or c design. And you know, here I want to point out that uh, Paul Davies. Is a cosmologist. In one of his books, he proposes that the universe could have taken a variety of uh, forms. Uh, he says it could be instead of an orderly cosmos, it could be chaos. It could be a chaotic universe, uh, and so the universe could have taken different different forms. He insists that it does not have to be that way. In fact, uh, in some of his uh, more private interviews or uh, kind of reflecting some of his own personal views, he said that the thing that kind of keeps him up at night is the idea that not just that the universe is intelligible, but human beings can actually track the intelligibility of the universe. He thought that was like, wow. You know, what, what are the chances that the universe is going to have intelligibility, but it's also going to produce creatures that can understand and do science and, and do mathematics. So Paul Davies would argue that as part of that first premise, the fine tuning the universe must be the result of physical necessity. So we'll call that A. He says, No it didn't have to be an orderly cosmos it could have been chaotic now how about the second part b chance well here roger penrose roger penrose a close associate of uh, stephen hawking um a mathematician uh, a cosmologist himself uh he's calculated the, the um uh, the chances of our universe our, our universe our fine tuned universe coming into being purely by chance and the number joe is incomprehensible hmm. it is so staggering that it it is it's not reasonable to conclude it um, it's it's beyond any kind of rational basis So here we have an interesting argument. The first premise says the fine-tuning of the universe must result from physical necessity. Well, Paul Davies says, no, it didn't have to be that way. Well, how about maybe it's just an emergence of chance. Somebody with the prestige of Roger Penrose says, that's not a reasonable alternative because the numbers are are boggle the mind well if it didn't have to be that way and if it didn't happen purely by chance then somebody designed it that way hmm. there's a designer now now what i think is interesting here is again you have a basic philosophical argument but science way weigh, is weighing in here science it then raises the question well could it could it have uh, did the world Did physics or the basic complexity of the universe, did it have to be that way? Or or could we just got incredibly lucky? No, the most plausible conclusion seems to be that the fine-tuning in the universe is the result of an intelligent designer. Joe, I want to ask you something, um, uh, because I know in the church you attend and the church I attend, we often have readings from the Psalms. In in fact, uh, that has been a tradition that's been around for almost 2,000 years. In in fact, more if you go back to Judaism. But, you know, ancient Christian thinkers like St. Augustine, they would pray the Psalms every day. Um, And in my church, and I'll bet in your church, you know, there are Psalms. And what's interesting is some of the Psalms say something along this line they say god created us and we didn't create ourselves we are not the explanation of our of our being and our existence well i wonder if darwinism isn't saying that very thing no we created ourselves
0: mm.
1: whereas the biblical position is no you're not responsible for your existence you are not the captain of your own fate. We didn't, we didn't create ourselves. We're created by God. And, and therefore, our our theology should lead to doxology. Our belief in who God is as the creator, the designer, should lead us to give glory to God, to give worship to God. And I I, I just find that interesting that we didn't do it ourselves. Well, I think you might say that Darwin is claiming that we did do it ourselves. Mm. The psalmist, like David, would say, "Uh-uh, it it came it came from God." So, so that's a that's one way of framing the fine tuning argument. Again, you can you can have the teleological, which is just a broad argument from design. And you can break it down maybe the way Paley did. I know Rana, for example, is very fond of Paley's reasoning, the watchmaker argument, right? Look at the complexity of the design. Uh, you know, I, I think of the Discovery Institute, where they look at the question of, you know, uh, complex fine tuning, uh, things, complexity of things that couldn't happen just by one sequence affecting another. Well, this is a very interesting way of reasoning where you lay out the premise. Fine tuning owes itself either to necessity or chance or design. Which is more plausible? Which is more reasonable? I think that's a pretty powerful argument and and again, it may not be easy to present that to a lay audience, but I think with with some careful way of thinking, you can say, "Look, here are the reasonable options, but A and B won't work. Therefore, I have to go with C." That's kind of the the framework. Thoughts, questions about that first, teleological uh, yeah. logical argument.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate that and. Uh just a thought to go along with that part of the appreciation that people express in um, reading and watching reasons to believe resources is that uh, we really get into the details of the fine tuning and for people who are scientists, engineers, and other STEM uh, type professionals, they really like it. Uh, You know, you mentioned Hugh started this ministry, um, back with uh, the Big Bang cosmological argument, well, he has added every year more and more parameters that are fine-tuned that are necessary. And one of the arguments that our science scholars will say is, which way is the trend line going? Are we seeing less fine-tuning or more? And it just seems like science continues to uncover more and more fine-tuning when it comes to the habitability uh, or finding a life-supporting uh, planet somewhere. Uh, Hugh talks about uh, the fact that people always lo- are always looking for water. Well, he says that's one of the uh, habitability requirements. I think he's up to like 11 in just habitable zones now for planets. So it's yeah. all fun stuff, and people have come to appreciate that. But I guess it goes to show that that fine-tuning is not going away.
1: I think that's exactly right, and I I, I think that the does the for our present uh, context apologetic context, if you will, that teleological argument uh, is focusing on the fine tuning. Now, let me let me again bring up uh, an objection to this, and and I'll try to explain why I think it holds water with some people. Um, if there's an infinite number of things. Uh, then every scenario is going to play itself out. So it it may be very unlikely that we would have a universe that has this kind of fine tuning. Uh, again, Roger Penrose says it it's it's might as well be impossible that it could have just happened. But now wait a second. What if we have an infinite number of universes? then every possible scenario will happen, even the most improbable. It's kind of the old uh, analogy. You you have a monkey sitting down on a typewriter. Give him enough time, like infinity, he might type out Shakespeare's, you know, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, You know, if you have enough time, every possible key is going to be hit. So the attempt there with the multiverse is, if we can have an infinity of past, then even the most extremely improbable will play itself out. Now, now again, uh, I'm going to raise what I think are real objections. And uh, I think right at the heart of an, a near infinite number of universes, of uh, you know, a multiverse, if you will, um, you can't observe it. You can't do any experiments to test it. Um, it seems highly speculative. Paul Davies says it's it's just a philosophical idea. Um, so i I think I think here we have to. Then bring it back and say, "We know we have this universe, and this universe, the fine tuning here seems to demand um, a designer, if you will." And and so these arguments never go away. They they um, they're never ultimately successful in the sense that everybody says, uh, "I give up. You're right." But these are arguments that have been around for a very long time. And they have, uh, they've been persuasive to various thinkers, theologians, philosophers, scientists, people in various uh, disciplines. And I advocate stating those arguments in a way that retain their substance, but are uh, accessible. And that's where I think in, in talking with people in our churches, talking with lay people, because most people are not PhD scholars, um, if we can give them, if we can present arguments that retain substance, but are in fact accessible, that's a very, very, very valuable thing to provide to people. So that would be the first one. Any any last word about that before
0: we look at a second argument? Uh, yeah, one quick question. I, I, I see if I can get this uh, right. Uh, there are some people I think who would object along these lines. Uh, the reason we're appealing to the anthropic principle is because we just happen to be in that part of the universe uh, where we can we can see we can observe it. The universe is is vast beyond our ability to to comprehend at this point, but we're just, we're just, happen, we happen to be in the right place. See what I'm getting at? Yeah. Again? Yeah. Let, let's,
1: let's, let's touch on that a little bit. Uh, you know, so some people would say, when you talk about the fine tuning, well, well, of course, of course uh, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for that fine tuning. I like the way Richard Swinburne responds to it. He he uses uh, the um, uh, he he uses people being executed by firing squad, and so you have twelve expert marksmen, and they're shooting at someone uh, who has committed treason, and all twelve fire, and uh, somehow the guy is still alive. And they go up to him and say, well, how do you explain this? He says, well, uh, uh, it had to be that way or I wouldn't be here. That doesn't explain anything. I want to know, were there blanks in the gun? Were these expert marksmen not really marksmen? Did did an alien come down with a shield? What, what I'm saying here is to, just simply to say, well, of course, we're here to see it. Uh, we wouldn't see it if it weren't there. I don't think that that's an adequate explanation. I think we're asking uh, not the, not just that you're there. We realize that, but how did it get that way? What is what is the best explanation? And you know, I think I think abductive reasoning. This idea. Uh, the other day, I was talking with uh, a couple doctors who had joined the RTB scholar community. They were MDs, and I told them that when. I go to my doctors, I'm always, uh, I'm always trying to ask them, how do you come to a diagnosis? What goes into it? You know, how much of it is uh, tests? How much of it is your experience? How much of it is kind of educated guessing? Uh, You know, you're, you're engaging in uh, diagnostician way of thinking, well, this is what we're doing here. We're, we're, not, we're asking, what's the explanation for why 12 uh marksmen, 12 uh, experts missed shooting that person and their death. It's not enough just to say, well, of course, we're just here. We we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't be here if it weren't. That's not an explanation in my mind. I think, I think Richard Swinburne is on to something there. <laughs> Okay, how about a second argument? So if you take the two programs together, this would be our fourth argument. And again, uh, in the first program, we looked at two cosmological arguments. Now we've looked at a teleological or a fine-tuning argument. But what we're doing is we're looking at four science-related arguments for God's existence, or we could put it this way, four philosophical arguments that are informed by science. And I think that's helpful. I think that shows you that um philosophy is very important in apologetics. And we can utilize the data from science to to, to marshal, to buttress those arguments. So here's here's a fourth uh argument. And I'm gonna call this argument uh an argument for God's existence from mathematics from mathematics and and again i'm going to present it in a in a syllogism again syllogistic form two premises followed by a conclusion here i go my first premise uh it is amazing that abstract mathematics succeeds in describing the universe premise 1 it is amazing that abstract mathematics succeeds in describing the universe um Albert Einstein says, the language of the universe is mathematics. I I used to tell uh, Dave Rogstad that when I took my one and only physics class, what struck me halfway through the class was how important mathematics was to physics. That somehow Einstein came up with a conceptual equation that actually was shown to Correspond to the universe itself. Now, I wouldn't have given Albert Einstein the man of the century. I would have given it to Winston Churchill. But I can understand why Einstein would be so important. He basically changed the way we look at the universe that somehow, and this is, I think, a miracle. I think it's worthy of the M word that conceptual mathematics we can create equations, Joe, that actually correspond and offer an explanations for the physical universe itself. So looking at premise one, it is amazing that abstract mathematics succeeds in describing the universe. Premise two, but if the biblical God exists, then math's applicability to nature is an expected matter of course, resulting from the act of creation. Let me read it again. But if the biblical God exists, then math's applicability to nature is an expected matter, of course, resulting from an act of creation. Conclusion, thus there is a plausible reason to conclude that the biblical God exists. Now, let me let me try to frame that simply. So God creates the world, And he is a God of of laws and logic, uh, namas and logos, to use the Greek words. So God is a God of laws and logic, namas and logos. He creates the world, and the world is imbued with those logical and uh, scientific laws. He creates us in his image, so we have finite minds. But they are finite minds in light of his infinite mind. And then he networks us together. Uh, so God creates the world, a rational, logical, scientific mind creates the universe. Reason is reflected in that universe. We are made in God's image, therefore, we are rational beings. And then, like a computer, a system of computers, they're networked together. So the idea here would be well if uh if math can explain the cosmos and if the cosmos and math came out of the mind of god and if that mind also created us then we should be able to expect that things like math and logic and science can actually explain reality now let's let's go at from a a different point of view. Um, I I remember reading uh, a couple years ago, an article entitled, The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences. This is Eugene Wigner, a physicist. I think he wrote this about 1960. And he uses the word miracle to describe this extraordinary congruence between mathematical ideas uh, in the human mind, in human beings, and their explanatory power, their descriptive power to explain the world. He's essentially saying this. It's almost like a miracle that somehow mathematics can explain reality. And he says, I don't know if it will continue. I don't know why it happened that way, but it happened that way. Well, what I'm proposing here and, and what this argument is proposing is that a plausible explanation for this, and Joe, I don't know how this strikes you. I want you, to, I want you to give me some feedback here. But whenever I associate mathematics, I immediately think of a mind. There's just something about the abstract nature of math that I, I immediately associate it with a mind. I can't see mindless creatures doing mathematics. I I can't see uh, mathematical concepts in any other concept than in a mind, because numbers aren't physical. I mean, the number nine isn't a physical thing. There's nineness, but mathematics are abstract principles. They're not physical things. Therefore, these abstract principles have to exist in a living room, in a context, if you will, of what I would call a mind. Uh, Now, again, what the Bible is saying, what Christian theism is saying, that a good explanation for this miracle that human beings can think up mathematical principles that actually correspond to the universe is that we're networked that way. So, if a mind created nature, don't be surprised if the uh, if nature can understand those reasons. If mind created nature then nature can understand reason and logic because it comes from a rational and logical source. But let's flip it. What if nature, which is mindless, created minds? Um, How would that come to be? Um, Why should the cause... How is it possible that the cause lacks the fundamental principles of the effect? And even Wigner, and I don't think he means miracle like in a supernatural sense where Jesus heals the blind man. I think he means it is kind of this complexity, this this difficulty. Uh, How is it possible that we end up with a universe where creatures can come up with abstract ideas that correspond to reality? Or let me put it this way math works because God is a mathematical God. There is the great mathematician. Not just the great engineer, not just, uh, you know, the great designer, but in this context, the great mathematician. Um, and and again, I think that, uh, I don't think anybody's going to question I don't think any educated, thoughtful person, Joe, is going to question that this has been shown to be true, that human beings are able to create a mathematical framework for understanding the world. The question, though, is who has the best explanation? Was it just luck? Hmm. Did it have to be that way? Well, I think we could apply what we applied uh to the fine tuning in a similar way, it doesn't appear that a mathematically, that a universe corresponds to mathematics. Did it have to be that way? I think Davies would say no. Uh, did, could it happen by chance? I, I think Penrose would agree. It's so obscure, so difficult. It's, it's not a rational option. Well, then what did explain it? Um, that we're networked that way. Now, again, let me put it this way, Joe. Um, What if you say, okay, these are interesting arguments. You presented two cosmological arguments, one informed by Big Bang. Uh, You looked at the contingency argument, and then then you've introduced a fine-tuning and an argument from mathematics. Okay, let's suppose you put all those aside and you say, Uh, Not persuaded. What's the alternative? What is the alternative explanation? And does the principle of sufficient reason hold that things need adequate explanations? And if there is some other adequate explanation than God, what is it? I, I think that even with the coming of modern science even with the advancements that we've seen in science in the last 150 years, so to speak, I still think that these arguments are potent. I still think that these arguments remain viable. And uh, there are a, there is a variety within each of those arguments. There are multiple cosmological arguments. Multiple teleological arguments, and we haven't yet talked about the moral argument or the contingency argument or the ontological argument or the argument from miracles. What I think is interesting is that I think you can find very competent people, both in philosophy and in science, who hold versions of these arguments. And so, is belief in God rational? Is belief in the biblical God rational? I think the answer is yes.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. Ken, I wonder if I'm trying to think of a blog post you wrote recently where you were quoting uh, John Lennox and you had an exchange with a guy online over his disagreement with uh, the Lennox quote. And it seems like he wasn't quite understanding Lennox. And part of your back and forth with him was to uh, help him see what Lennox was getting at. Do you, do you remember that one? Yeah. I'm trying I to try, do. Uh,
1: but yeah, it that seemed, was, uh, it seemed
0: It seemed to relate to what we're talking about yeah. here.
1: Yeah, I uh, I put up a quote by John Lennox, who is uh, a mathematician, Oxford University trained Uh, an Irishman. He has debated people like Richard Dawkins and various others. Uh, He's a good friend of RTB. When we were in England, he gave a little talk about uh, apologetics. Uh, Lennox even said, Joe, that when he was uh, first as a student there at Oxford, he attended a lecture by C.S. Lewis, and I I wanted to hear all the details about that, but... (laughs) But Lennox says, look, uh, and, and, and I'm going to paraphrase his quotation here. He says, look, either, um, either minds were created by mindless matter or they were created by a mind. And he, then, he, then he brings in this objection, then he says, and most people think it's their common sense that tells them that it came from a non-mind. Uh, so how did, how do human minds come into existence from mindless matter or from an ultimate mind, a divine mind? And then he says, now some of our atheist friends say it's their reason and their logic that tells them it came from a non-rational and non-logical source. He's sticking the needle in there, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's saying, ah, are you thinking that way? Um, I think that This argument, known as the argument from reason, um, it goes back a long ways. It's in C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles. It's been popularized. Uh, One of my friends, Victor Reppert, uh, has written uh, a presentation of the argument from reason based upon C.S. Lewis. That was his doctoral dissertation. Uh, Then Alvin Plantica, who is one of the world's leading Christian philosophers has has presented what he called the the evolutionary argument against naturalism that that if you adopt evolution there's no way of accounting for the human mind so so here is the backdrop of this and and again um it's not easy to kind of track this but I I try to do it as simply as I can because I want as many people as possible to give consideration to it. And and I think maybe the best way of, of explaining it is this. If a mind created nature, then you shouldn't be surprised that nature has other minds. If a mind created nature, it seems reasonable that that infinite Eternal mind would create other finite temporal minds because the source of those minds comes from the greater mind. But flip it. What if what if the minds in the universe came from a source that was not mindful, not conscious? Did a non-conscious non mindful non personal source create uh, creatures like us that are conscious that are mindful that are personal um and and then the question is if uh if evolution uh that that happened from uh purely natural processes can we trust our reason i mean even Even skeptical thinkers like Lawrence Krauss, a physicist, Michael Shermer, um, uh, the the editor of Skeptic magazine, Uh, Shermer used to be a Christian and deconverted for some of these science reasons, he says. Well, Shermer and Lawrence Krauss both say that they think there's a reason why people, why human, why humanity has believed in God why we've believed in objective morality, why we've believed in life after death. And why is that? Because they offered survival advantages to us as a species. Well, I love it when they say that, because then I say, so uh, evolution naturally created false beliefs to help us survive. Well, if evolution creates false beliefs like God's existence, objective morality, life after death. Why should I trust that evolution can give me a mind that will actually give me truth? I like that, did a mind create nature or did nature create mind? I think that's a way of kind of coming at that complicated argument from reason. But I have to say, I've heard a lot of criticisms of it. I still think it's a powerful argument. Uh, now, of course, one of the things I've been thinking about is, can I understand it so well that I can communicate it as simply as possible to try to get substance and accessibility? And if I, if there's anything original about my writings, and I'm not sure there is, in fact, as a theologian, I never want to be original. I, I want to be biblical. I want to be orthodox. But if there is an originality, it's because I'm trying to take substantive ideas and, and keep them retain the integrity of the content, but write about them in ways that people don't have to have three PhDs to understand. The book that I think I don't again, Joe, I don't know if this is my best book. But I think the book that I feel most confident about when it comes to real substance and yet real accessibility is my book, Seven Truths That Changed the World, where I talk about these four arguments, the two cosmological arguments, the argument from contingency, the argument from uh, uh, fine tuning, and then the argument from mathematics.
0: Great stuff, thanks, Ken. I appreciate your uh, insights, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. So make make sure you get that book by Ken, Seven Truths That Changed the World, uh, add it to your New Year's reading list, and uh, let us know your thoughts. Your thoughts about uh, the podcast, questions you might have, comments. Many of you have reached out to Ken via Twitter now X, and, and that's at RTB. Underscore K samples, and uh, we'll be glad to read your comment or question here. Make sure to get Clear Thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. for can samples. This is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our creator and savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.